to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. It's been too long, my friend. It has, way too long. It has, and before we get to uh, some news items, uh, briefly I wanted to just talk about the state of the podcast, uh, some things about last year, some things going forward, and... Uh, just kind of catch everybody up because we haven't recorded since the end of November. This has probably been the longest break that we've taken. We're now recording. It's the middle of January, so uh, quite a break for us. But uh, last year obviously has sucked for a lot of people, uh, myself included. Uh, there were things going into 2020. Uh, I had a major work disruption. As I've said before, this podcast is not my job this is not your job this is our hobby we have other jobs that make money we don't charge for this podcast we don't do any sort of patreon we don't encourage donations or anything like that this is just something that you and i started because we love wrestling and we were friends and we get together and do this and um so i have real jobs to pay the bills and heading into last year and there was a major disruption at one of my workplaces, the radio station. That's why I'm called Intern Alex. That's my on-air name at the radio station. If you go back to our very first episode, which is uh, WWF Final Four, I think I tell you that. You, you'll learn the, the origin story of the Retro Wrestling Podcast there. But heading into 2020, I had a major work disruption uh, as they fired my co-hosts from my afternoon show. So... That started 2020 off with a pretty 
lousy taste in my mouth because now it was just me by myself in the afternoons and they let me do that for three weeks and then they replaced me. Uh, They kept me on the payroll and I was doing fill-in stuff, but that significantly started my year off badly. And it also cost me a lot of money because even though... I'm just a, I'm part-time at the radio station. I mean, I was getting 25 hours and then I was down to getting eight. So my year was starting off pretty lousy. And um, so, but that did allow us though, it gave me weekends and, and time during the week because I wasn't going to the radio station where we could record. So I thought heading into 2020 that we would maintain sort of a regular recording schedule, but Obviously, that didn't happen because heading into March, uh, the pandemic sets in and there's more work disruption uh, at my radio station job as they fired uh, a large number of the staff. They retained me. I somehow made the cut. I think they just forgot to cut me, but it was devastating. A lot of these people that I worked with for I've been here for a decade and I loved them very much, and they were cut. And also, then, uh, heading into April, the person that replaced me in the afternoons was let go. So, another work disruption. So, my head was just spinning at this point. Also, my other job is in TV news, and I work a shift where we do four and a half hours local TV news. Please don't think that I'm part of some major corporation. No, it's local TV news. I do a show where we do four and a half hours of news. And I don't know if you realize this, but in 2020, not a lot of good news. And so you're getting it pumped into your head. At least I was for four and a half hours every day. So that was an enormous toll on me. And then heading into the summer, um, my significant other lost her job due to the pandemic. So that left me as the only person working in the house so that put more pressure on me i was having panic attacks from just everything piling on uh and and in fact i was directing a newscast and had to have another director come in and relieve me one morning because i was just freaking out like i just couldn't take it i've since calmed down um but so the middle of the year was just a, a, a nightmare and then it just it just kept going really and as we went into the fall uh, there was another major uh, disruption involving work that I can't talk about. One day, I would love to tell you more about it, but let's just say I was very, very panicked uh, about something uh, that has to pertain to uh, my one of my jobs. And so that caused more panic, and I called into work because of more anxiety uh, that was building. Uh, as we head into the wintertime, in addition to all of the stuff going on in the nation and all the world. I also, my stepbrother was diagnosed with uh, like stage three colon cancer. So, and he's my next door neighbor. And then my stepmom's mother uh, had a heart valve replacement. And then this past winter, she passed away. Heading into Christmas time, even at Christmas time when my stepmom was crying, that pretty much just summarized the year. So a lot of weeks, even if I did have the time to record, I just didn't feel like it. I wanted to do the show. I still have a passion for this show, for the podcast, and for hanging out with you, Patrick. 
Um, and obviously, that's a, a whole other issue is getting together because we used to do these in person together and we used to have access to the studio, the radio studio equipment. And now I can't have visitors in the building. And then the pandemic worsened and so I can't even have you at my house to sit across from me to do them. So plus your work schedule. So last year, I think we only put out a total of, I think, 25 episodes. And um, I, I am proud to say, though, last year was our most listened to year ever in the, the, that we've done the podcast. So thank you uh, to our listeners for listening to even replaying the old episodes over and over again um, because, I mean, it wasn't by a huge margin that it was the most listened to, but it was, it, we did it. Uh, we did it with without being able to record every week and staying on top of things. Also, I'd say 2020 really just sort of killed my passion for watching pro wrestling on a week-to-week basis So, and keeping up with all the news because... The news of the world was a lot bigger to me and the the wrestling product. I thought WWE had a pretty lousy product in 2020 and AEW did some stuff that I liked and that I watched. But for the most part, it's probably been uh, the, the past year is probably the least amount of modern day pro wrestling uh, that I watched. So uh, just... Going forward, though, uh, I I hope to try to record with you more often. But I I just want our listeners to be aware that don't expect a new episode every week. And I think I've said that before, but that's just the way it's got to be right now. Like unless there's a change in my life or in your life where our schedules allow us more time, I just I don't I don't see us being able to record every week. Now I'm gonna try my best, but. Uh, that's just, I just wanted to put that out there. I'm not making excuses. I'm just trying to explain. And I know I'm not trying to get sympathy or give you a sob story because there's a lot of people in this world that had a much, much worse 2020 than me. So, um, it was a very horrible year and a lot of people suffered tremendously because of the year. And, uh, we're still going to get together. We're still going to do this as much as possible, but there are situations and times in which we can't. I mean, you have a personal life. I have a personal life. You have things going on in your personal life that can't necessarily be dealt with in a split second and good to go once again. I mean, it's not that simple. And so, there are things that, you know, we're like like you were saying, we're not asking for sympathy or anything like that, but we are asking for just understanding, and we're not saying that you're not, uh, but just still keep understanding in the fact that, unfortunately, this is something that until the world gets to somewhat of a normal basis once again, it's uh, it's just one of those things we've got to deal with. I made the mistake, Patrick, of uh, reading a review of ours that somebody had left on Apple Podcasts, and uh, it's fine. It was constructive criticism, and that's always welcome. You can, uh, listeners, uh, if you want to, uh, but I would prefer, listeners, if you want to leave constructive criticism, I prefer that you email it to me, retrowrestlingpodcast at gmail.com. 
I also wanted to take a second and just kind of reintroduce what we do on this podcast because uh, Patrick and I are not wrestling journalists. There is, I do not have a journalism degree. I, I do work in television news, but I'm on the production side of it. I am not, I have never gone out and interviewed somebody or done research on, you know, a criminal or any kind of investigative journalism. And that brings me to a bigger point, though. As far as when you when you talk about wrestling journalists, I think there's only really about 10 to 15 actual wrestling journalists and the rest are just reposting news from wrestling sites and yeah, so yeah yeah you see one story and then it's cut copy and paste and yeah. they just do that and essentially when we go over the news we're just reading that kind of stuff like we try to pick journalists that we trust and stuff and read that but we're not wrestling journalists and as much as patrick will sit there and tell you that he is we're also not wrestling historians now we love wrestling but patrick and i are not old enough to I would be I would say considered wrestling historians. I mean, we were not there in the golden era of wrestling. We don't have we're not like Jim Cornette. We don't have just this massive random knowledge of things, and we're also not Dave Meltzer. We don't have uh, access to stats and like anytime you hear a wrestling podcast and they and they give you facts about something, all they're doing is taking. Dave Meltzer's stats. They're taking an old Observer newsletter from 87 or whatever and reading to you the facts and figures that he gets. So uh, one of the the criticisms was that I got some facts wrong or something about the Royal Rumble 93, that, that episode that Razor Ramon had a knee injury. Well, okay, I didn't know, but I never claimed to know. I, you know, I didn't if if this podcast was more of a research-based podcast and a journalistic podcast, we would probably get out like one episode a month tops. Uh, I mean, even without a pandemic, because that would require Patrick and I to go open a book and read it and cite things and find random shoot interviews and get every angle and... I just, we don't have time for that. This is not what that podcast is about. And that's the most important part of when I say it, I I want people to take it seriously. I do have connections to where I can ask people questions if there is a, a specific, significant question involving something wrestling related that you would like to know. I will gladly go to someone who knows the answer. I will find the answer. I will do the study and the research myself if need be. And I will give you verbatim where I heard it from or where I found it. I have no problem putting in the work and the effort in answering your question, but to say, Oh, well, you need to know every bit of it. That's not going to (laughs) happen. No, I mean, that's just not what the podcast is about. It's just you and I, two friends getting together, watching an old show that we may or may not have seen before and talking about it. That's pretty much it. And if we we have some random bit of knowledge uh, or something that we remember about the show that we want to drop in there, we're not going to go fact check it. And and like even John Pollock, who does uh, post wrestling, he is a guy who I consider a wrestling journalist. There are times that I've listened to old 
episodes of review away where they're talking about an old pay-per-view and he gets something slightly wrong. Like you can't be perfect a hundred percent of the time, even if you go back and, and double check and triple check, like it's just not going to happen. And so if you're coming here for that, uh, just go research it yourself, you know? And, And if, if I'm wrong or if Patrick's wrong or whatever, then we're wrong. I mean, then you can let us know and that's, and we'll make a mention of it if we have to, but there's nothing, it's wrestling. It's not, it's not like we're sitting here, uh, you know, coming up with, uh, alternate stories for an actual major news event. This is wrestling. And so if I say, Oh, well, Shawn Michaels had a knee injury and he, he was drunk the night before I'm just going based on memory. Okay. <laughs> and, and if Patrick says, Oh, well, they, they sold out this many tickets because of that's just what he's going off of. Like, sorry, that's, yeah, that's the way it is. This is not a journalistic kind of podcast and uh that was one of the criticisms of the show the guy loved you by the way in in the review so congrats to you patrick he doesn't like me he just called me the other guy um so that's fine personal preference is is up to you uh another criticism is our audio quality which i think he brought up because i actually mentioned in another podcast about how i don't believe audio quality is really a factor in how you enjoy a podcast well The audio quality issue is that Patrick and I, when we started this, uh, we were in a radio studio, a professional studio with $3,000 microphones, sound processing, audio boards, the works, a professional outfit. And so we sounded really, really good. And when the pandemic hit, we should have probably thought about this before the pandemic hit, but when we needed to do shows remotely... Uh, And when Patrick moved further away than he did when we started this show, I should have researched the equipment to get Patrick and myself so that we sounded really good when we did the show remotely. But the problem is I didn't do that. The pandemic hit. And now I'm not going to drive down to Patrick's house to install sound equipment or help troubleshoot anything that's wrong or vice versa. Uh, So we're doing the best we can. Like, I I don't know what to tell you about the audio quality. Like this is just what I have to work with right now. And we're just, you're just going to have to live with it. And like I said, there are plenty of other podcasts with, I mean, even people like stone cold, Steve Austin and stuff. There's podcasts that I've heard that have sounded awful. And those are professionals. And those are people that are getting paid for it too. That's another thing. As I mentioned, we don't get paid for this. So you're asking us, if you want better sound quality, I can't, we are, we do this for free. This is a money losing endeavor. So why would I go invest more money into sound equipment? Maybe down the road, we'll get some better sound equipment, but that's just not in the works right now. And then the final criticism in this review was primarily directed at me and that I shouldn't compare old wrestling to new wrestling. Uh, as like, I can't, I'm not supposed to compare a pay-per-view, a wrestling work rate, all that kind of stuff from 1992 to something that I saw last month. But here's the problem with that. That's what, that's what this podcast is. I'm looking at what I, I have seen and, and comparing it to what I have not seen or what I have not seen in a really long time and making comparisons because that's 
what I do. <laughs> I don't, I mean, it's apples and oranges. I'm not going to go to a black and white shoot wrestling match with Lou Fethez from 1950 and compare that to a Rey Mysterio match from 1996 and say, oh, you know what? I think Lou should have come off the top rope and hit a Hurricane Rana. I don't say stuff like that, but I'm comparing, I'm using my own experience. I'm just speaking from my perspective about what I've seen and compare the two. And that's just the way that I'm going to review the show. Sorry. I, I don't have any other basis of comparison and I think it's totally fair, but, uh, in the shows that we do that are typically from the eighties and nineties to compare to now, uh, because it's still pro wrestling. Pro wrestling is still pro wrestling. Uh, you know, you can watch uh, a, a basketball game featuring Michael Jordan from the same time period that we're watching wrestling and then compare it to a, pro, a basketball game to today. Uh, and I think that's totally fair. You can compare Michael Jordan and LeBron James, but I can't compare, uh, you know, Shawn Michaels to AJ Styles. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it a comparison, and I'm going to piss people off. All right, I believe Larry Bird and Magic Johnson back in their day, even now, is better than Michael Jordan, and much better than. Stephen Curry and LeBron James that you have nowadays. Cause I think LeBron James is overrated. Boom. There you go. I made a comparison. You're just speaking from what you've seen and what your experience is. And that's this podcast isn't about changing people's minds about how they feel about stuff. And it's not, I'm not trying to, I'm just giving them my thoughts and you're trying to give them your thoughts. And like I said, uh, I would prefer it, guys, if you want to leave constructive criticism, uh, to please email it to us at retrowrestlingpodcast at gmail.com or any ideas you have for the show. Or maybe if you want to try to, in the future, if you want to Skype in, maybe that's something we can look at in the future. Maybe you have something you want to promote or something. Reach out to us at retrowrestlingpodcast at gmail.com. I check it every day. Uh, so you can reach out there and don't do it in an iTunes review. And I only say that because naturally in iTunes and and we're on a lot of platforms. So this is just on iTunes, but iTunes is the biggest by far platform for podcasting. Don't leave a negative review there just because it hurts our algorithm. Like there's so much competition in the wrestling podcast specter that when you do that and you leave us a one-star review and write Alex and Patrick suck, then all that does is hurt us. Like, reach out to us. Let us know your complaints. And why why would you hurt us? This is a free podcast. That's I just... So I don't really understand the need to go knock us down a peg, basically. And if you, re- if you like us, go and leave a five-star review. Because that'll help us. And when I say help us, well, it doesn't really help us much at all because we don't monetize this podcast, but it'll help us when people look for wrestling podcasts and they, they have a choice between this and a different podcast and they say, oh, Retro Wrestling Podcast only has three stars and it's got this really bad review or this other podcast, oh, it has five stars, then someone will choose them over us and maybe they'll like us better. Who knows? But that's that's all I'm saying. If you want to be negative... Uh, that's fine. Just please be constructive. Uh, be, I, I'm not, I won't be offended if you want to tell me you hate my guts or you hate Patrick's guts. 
uh, just email it to us at retrowrestlingpodcast@gmail.com. And I'll, I'll even respond to you if you want me to. There's a lot of people that hate me, so that's nothing new. Well, but, you are a heel, uh, so. <laughs> so. I mean, even, you know, and once again, I am always, always, always welcome to answer questions, find an answer, or get to the bottom of, an, of something that you have a question about. So don't be afraid to ask that now. Yeah, now 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 we can get into the show now that I've finished my <laughs> ranting and raving. And if you wanted to skip past all this, every time I publish a podcast, I always put the time marker of when we start the review. So you can always skip the news or me ranting about iTunes reviews or me ranting about the terrible year I had in 2020. You can always skip that because I always put that in the in the podcast description. So just for future reference, for anybody out there, I don't want to get a negative complaint now that, oh, you spend way too much time talking about such and such. Well, you can always skip and get right to the pay-per-view review. Uh, but it is January, and sadly, uh, as I said, 2020 was pretty awful, and uh, we had some major losses in the final month of 2020 to cap off a year of pretty big losses. I mean, uh, this was, I know we've had years in the past where we've had a lot of, uh, significant, uh, big name wrestlers pass away, but this year there were, there were a lot in 2020. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll start at the bottom and work our way up. Uh, Kevin green, who I had forgotten about, uh, Kevin Green, who had quite a decent run in WCW after football, uh, passed away. And I don't know the details of what from, but he, uh, I mean, he was a very, very well-known, very athletic football player and uh, a decent wrestler. I enjoyed his, you know, his time in WCW. So, uh, I hate to see him go. Yeah, very briefly, Kevin Green, you you mentioned that he was a great wrestler after his football career. No, he was doing it during his football career. He was one. Yeah, he was one of the few wrestlers. The NFL eventually adopted a, a rule where their players could not participate while they were still playing the sport. They also did a lot of other stuff, like they told NFL players, you can't ride motorcycle, you can't do anything dangerous. Anything that's going to endanger you possibly getting on our football field and making us billions of dollars, we're not going to let you do. So Kevin Green was one of the last uh, wrestlers. Kevin Green was one of the last football players to be actively on an NFL roster and hop in a wrestling ring and actually wrestle. I know the Pac-Man Jones was suspended and did that TNA stuff, but he didn't actually get physically involved in the match. Uh, but Kevin Green, yeah, he was actually in the last leg of his career. I think he was either playing for the Panthers or just signed for the Panthers, which was his last stop in his NFL career. But he was a Hall of Fame uh, defensive end and a linebacker, and he was uh, just an outstanding uh, football player. And, yeah, a pretty good wrestler uh, did the famous angle with the four horsemen that got Mongo to join the four horsemen. Then Kevin Green also teamed up with the late Reggie White. So another guy who was actively playing football and wrestling at the same time. So 
Chattanooga's own Reggie White. He passed away December 21st. He was only 58 years old. So terrible there. No cause of death. No cause of death has been released. Tiny Liston, who he did a pretty decent run in wrestling as well with the Zeus character um, in WWF. And then when he came back in like 95 uh, for WCW with him and Hogan and they had that whole, uh, what was it, the Tower of Doom deal and and yeah it was yeah. the alliance to end hulkamania it was yeah. the dungeon of doom the four horsemen and then of course z gangsta and uh yeah. the yes. uh ultimate solution in that giant cage match which we reviewed that uh halloween havoc i believe it was uh in 95 or maybe it was uncensored I, it was one of the two uh I think it might have been uncensored i enjoy that match believe it or not i think that is a very brilliant of course you do of course you do. i do i do i love that match and i love the triple cage as well i think it is extremely entertaining yeah tiny lister of course uh the star of no holds barred and uh they did the big angle with him taking on hogan uh with macho man and his partner and um yeah, he was involved in that and then did the the run in WCW. But, yeah, also his film career, the star of Friday, Debo. I mean, everyone knows Debo uh, from Friday. So a really long acting career because he is just a giant, intimidating man with a deep voice and that lazy eye or that glass eye, I'm not sure. And uh, he had a very well, unique I mean- look to him. I don't know when he started acting. I know it was, it had to, it was around the eighties. Okay. But moving forward all the way up until recently with, uh, like Batman, the dark Knight, with, you know, the Joker or whatever you see him on the boat. Yeah. He throws the detonator out. He throws the detonator out. Yeah. So, I mean, he had a career where he just popped up in random places and decent places. Not that's what I'm saying. It's not like some, you know, low budget movie nobody's heard of. I mean, that was, I think, film of the year. So, uh, pretty decent places he would pop up. And so, Tommy Lister Jr., he was 62 years old. He was actually blind in that eye. So, he was blind in his right eye. So, that was what caused that that look, uh, which, when, when that guy's staring at you with those eyes, man, that that was... It's easy to see why he got so much work. Also, uh, before he was in films, he was a track and field star in college, which probably explains why he was such a good wrestler, because obviously, I mean, good wrestler for an actor, because uh, wrestling is mostly cardio. And so if you're in track and field, that's going to help out a lot. So, um, yeah, passed away at the age of 62 back on December 10th. Uh, complications from COVID-19, which he had recovered from earlier in the year, but the lingering effects apparently uh, took out Tony Tiny Lister, or Tommy Lister. He's gone by many different names here. Many, many, yes. One that really hit me hard was Danny Hodge. I just thought he was a cool guy and loved to hear old stories about him. Uh, One of the very first men to make it famous to crush apples with his bare hands. I mean, 
that his strength in his hands was just absolutely absurd from the things that I have heard and the stories I've been told from other legends and other guys that happened to have been around him, you know, their young starting career and things, uh, whether it be amateur wrestling or collegiate wrestling higher up and, uh, and then into pro wrestling. Yeah. He was a legit badass, like, uh, an award-winning collegiate, uh, Matt shoot wrestler, uh, went on to the Olympics, got a silver medal, in the Australian Games uh, in 1956, and then moved into professional wrestling where he was a junior heavyweight champion for, for many years. Even past that, just, uh, I mean, he's the referee in the brawl for all. That's what I was thinking. I know he's done many, many great things, but I, I recall his stint as the referee in the brawl for all from 1998 uh, as... Danny Hodge uh, that I remember. I mean, that's the only time I actually... So that's like the first time I saw him. So, But yeah, legitimate badass. Could crush an apple with his bare hand at the age of 80. Could probably beat the shit out of anybody. Um, we, don't do, we don't do politics, but he was invited to Congress in his... I think he was like 80... 78, 80, right around in there at that age. He was invited to Congress to speak about how schools and athleticism and there needed to be more funding for schools. This is from what I was told. I haven't researched it, FYI. But the point that he, he was even demonstrating at that age, he crushed apples with his bare hands. We're talking about like 78, 79, 80 years old. That's insane. Yeah, according to his Wikipedia page, in 1962, in 1962, this man was making 80 grand a year as a pro Ooh. wrestler. I mean, in 2021 money, that is massive. This guy was a draw. Uh, everywhere he went, people loved him. And he's from an era of, you know wrestling when it was you know matt bait when professional wrestling was still a shoot for the most part and people loved watching grapplers and he was among the best so one of the one of the last i i believe one of the last that were still alive from the golden age of wrestling yeah not many people uh still alive that were trained by ed strangler lewis so yeah. uh yeah he lived he's he was 88 when he passed away, so a, a long life, uh, a very fulfilling life, and uh, just a, a, a real badass man. Uh, he Hyde. has a massive statue of himself um, somewhere. I'm not real sure if it's the Amateur Wrestling Hall of Fame or outside of his old uh, college. But it's a pretty it's a pretty badass thing. It, it is something that I intend to go and see in person before I die. He passed away so. on Christmas Eve at the age of eighty eight, and he is Jim Ross's uh, favorite wrestler of all time. Obviously, from the Oklahoma ties, there. Uh, yes, this is a guy that uh, was a collegiate wrestler for for Oklahoma University. So uh, obviously, Jr. Uh, idolizes this guy. So. Uh, we lost Brody Lee. Whether you want to call him Brody Lee, whether you want to call him 
Luke Harper, Brody Lee, Mr. Brody yeah. Lee. Uh, yeah. His real name, John Huber. He passed away the day after Christmas. Awful, awful stuff at the age of 41. This one hit me really hard, not necessarily because I was... Like, I, I liked um, John Huber. I liked Brody Lee. I thought he was actually doing the best work of his career uh, in AEW uh, prior to his passing. But this one just hit me hard because this is a guy that's seven years older than me, uh, who's in wrestling shape, who, as the story goes, was on his Peloton bike just working out one day, got short of breath, and goes to the hospital, and they say, oh my goodness, like, this is this is something major. And next thing you know, he's in the Mayo Clinic and is hospitalized since October. And that's just crazy. Like, I know that 2020 has... I mean, we're approaching like 400,000 people dying of COVID-19. Now, he did not die of COVID-19. He had some other sort of lung was, ailment. Yeah, um, some type of rare, from what I have picked up, some type of a rare lung situation that not, a, you know, it's not a common thing. Yeah, but it's, it just hit me really hard because it's just the, the fragility of life, like, um but I, I think 2020 taught us a lot about that in general, but this is somebody who was, you know, on TV in September uh, having great matches and all of a sudden is gone and wrestlers, we haven't had a wrestler pass away, you know, from something like Matt Capitelli had brain cancer, but he had been fighting it for years out of the ring. But you have this young, seemingly healthy individual who's, actively wrestling and he passes away at 41 and not from drugs or a random car accident and it's just not something crazy it's like it's the closest i mean that i could make the comparison to is something like the owen hart accident because it's a guy that everybody loved that did all the right things that just uh almost uh like Owen Hart had a freak accident and he had a freak illness and I just felt so bad. Uh, I mean, I have a young daughter at home and stuff like I just, it just crushed me. It just really made me feel terrible. It it bothered me because I was going to the ring to wrestle in the main event, not referee actually wrestle. I was just checking on my phone, uh, like ESPN news and things like that. And, you know, just kind of, you know, fucking around on Twitter for a little bit right before it was my match. And so I uh, didn't see anything. And I go out, uh, tear the house down in the main event, come back. I did. Listen, they were hanging from the rafters, okay? Uh, but I came back, and that was the first thing I was told right when I came through the curtain. And it was just like, I couldn't believe it. Because I was like, no way, man. No way. They were keeping him off TV because of the bull rope match with him and Cody, I believe. Well, they had explained that it was an ankle injury, I think. and um, Something like that. Then they yeah. just went kind of silent. And we also missed the debut of Sting in AEW, which I don't want to detract from the story. But that night that Sting debuted in AEW when the lights went out, 
I thought it was going to be Brody Lee reappearing because it had been a couple of months since since that bull rope match, and so. Yeah. But then it was Sting, and right. uh, Tony Khan was even at a press conference, and they said like, "Where's Brody Lee?" And he was just like, "Well, we hope he comes back soon." So, the company did a very good job of keeping this private, so that yeah. the family could have privacy. From what I have heard, it was something that was very rare chance of him beating because I've heard Cody and others make the statements that we were preparing for this and uh, using that type of terminology. So um, uh, it, it's just very, it's very sad. Yeah, and, it's it's very rare in pro wrestling when they can keep a secret and it doesn't get leaked out to um, the dirt sheets and to the quote wrestling journalists, but uh, they did it. Uh, they they, and I have a lot of respect for them because obviously his wife and children don't need to be reading stories about their dad because they're living it. They don't need to yeah. have to go through that uh, every right. single day. But yes, the company like the week before he passed away, they had his son pin Kenny Omega in a match after the show went off the air. So. They obviously knew this was coming. Um, right. But and, it, I mean, they turned right back around and signed him, his son, to a, to a legit contract. To a legit contract to where he is going to be a part of the cast, of the roster, doing things like you have been seeing, you know, week after week or every couple of weeks. And... He is going to be um, he's going to be get be getting a weekly paycheck from the company. I think it's I heard it was like a ten to fifteen year deal. Yeah, you know, he's now the breadwinner for the household, I take it. You know what I mean? And he's ten. And uh it hit me hard because uh my dad died when I was nine getting ready to be ten. And so I just, there was a lot of similarity in that. And so I felt for him. I, I really felt for that little boy and know what he's going through and what he had been going through and seeing the last little bit of the weeks to come with his dad and all that. And so it was, uh, it, it's very, it hit everybody differently. Uh, whether you knew him, whether you didn't know him, this the situation as a whole. You know, for you it was the age. For me, it was like I, I was in his son's shoes. I mean, the identical, exact same situation. So that hit me hard, and uh, it, it just it affected everyone. Um, very, very deeply affected everyone. And something that I hope and pray and I believe 100% AEW is going to keep his memory alive. This is not going to be something that within a couple of weeks we're going to forget about or within a year we're going to forget about. I think this is something that we're going to be able to keep going with for the benefit of, you know, his wife, his children. I love what they're doing with his son. I think that they're trying to get him a little bit more comfortable on the microphone. And we might, hell, we might see him doing some stuff with 
the Dark Order. Who knows? Who knows? But I enjoy the hell out of what they are doing with him to help him cope with this, number one, to help him live out his dream, which is what he always wanted to do, number two, and the fact that he's now the breadwinner of the household, and he's only 10 years old, and that they're making sure that that family is took care of very well. Um, you mentioned it like an Owen Hart situation. Unfortunately, you know, Owen, Owen's family, it was not that, you know, type of situation. After a month or so, you know, Owen's, Owen's family never got a phone call or anything from what I was told. Oh, so no, I know. No, I mean, Vince, Vince was not very, uh, comforting to their family. I mean, and, and the same, and the same way with, uh, Pillman. Let's not forget that. The oh yeah, that's that's just awful stuff. Yeah, no. Uh, and so I, that's the first thing that went through my mind was, I really hope that they don't, they don't become that way as well. And I feel like they haven't. I feel like they've stepped up, and they've done the right thing, and they're going to continue to do the right thing. And for that alone, I respect the hell out of AEW for that, and Tony Khan. Yeah, and uh, John Huber, he was 41 years old, as we mentioned. Um, even though that's later in a wrestler's career, he was actually peaking. I mean, his career was yes. taking off, and even though he had been wrestling since the early 2000s. I mean, Ring of Honor, Dragon Gate, of course, his run in the WWE, but it's it's just so sad also that he spent years languishing in the WWE I mean, some of the things were, were injuries uh, to himself or to the other members of the Wyatt family that, that he was tethered to, and then some of it was creative and that he spent years languishing in WWE and within just a few months became a top guy in another company. So just a lot well, of... And I told you, if you go back and listen to past podcasts, I have told you that he was going to be the breakout star of the Wyatt family. I said that right when we they started the Wyatt family, and we were we they started that whole thing after we had started recording. That's how long we've been recording. Number one, and that's how far back. Go back and listen. I called it that he was going to be the breakout star. If everybody would just pay attention and because I knew that that man had talent, I knew that he was going to go places if they just didn't shackle him. And that's exactly what happened is when he got out of WWE and he wasn't shackled, boom, he was going to take off. And that's he did that exact thing. And finally, probably not to diminish the other people we talked about, probably the most impactful loss of December uh, 2020 was Pat Patterson. I mean, just the the brains behind the WWF slash WWE for many years. Um, Vince McMahon wouldn't have nearly the success that he has today if it, if it wasn't for Pat Patterson guiding the ship. Um, he, was, he was Vince's right-hand man. Oh yes, he was, and but he was also beloved by 
the the boys and they yeah. could go talk to him whereas Vince you know you're going to get shot down by Vince but Pat can help you and Pat can guide you and Vince is going to give you some really bad storyline but Pat Patterson's going to tell you how to make the best of it and he's going to help your character out and he did that for decades and I mean the Royal Rumble was created by Pat Patterson which to me is like the single greatest gimmick match <laughs> ever. Um, it is. I Absolutely it is. It's probably the best pay-per-view every year um, just because it has that match on it. And that was Pat it Patterson's quickly, brainchild. It quickly became one of the original four because of, of that, that one match. I mean, it is that big that that one match was just a match then quickly turned into it being for the title then quickly turned into being for a chance to main event wrestlemania which is their big show which then i mean it it has transformed so quickly the importance of that one match and so quickly the importance of that pay-per-view because of that match. I put him up there like Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes was the innovator of war games. Pat Patterson was the innovator of the Royal Rumble. And that's an elite class when you can put your thumbprint on something and it be a true success life after death existence that you were the one your fingerprints your thumbprint is on making that happen from nothing to something and so that alone puts him in a high class of respect and honor not to mention his work ethic from when he did wrestle i mean Let's think back to him and Sergeant Slaughter at Madison Square Garden. It's still one of the top 10 biggest matches to ever happen in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, he's the original Intercontinental Champion, which was just created and given to him, uh, even though he wears a Rio de Janeiro shirt. That never happened. That was just the backstory. But So that title was introduced on him. He introduced the Royal Rumble. He was the referee in the main event of the first WrestleMania. He also helped put together the LT Bam Bam Bigelow match at at WrestleMania 11 and was the referee for that. Um, And just there's too much that he's done backstage with various wrestlers and characters and promos and everything. We would be. We would be here a whole nother week if we oh, just yeah. started started naming the stuff that he had his hands involved in, and uh, just a massive blow to the wrestling world, and uh, just one hell of a guy. Another guy that I wish I had gotten the chance to meet. Uh, I wish I had gotten the chance to pick his brain, and unfortunately, I never did. Yeah, and everybody, everybody loved him. I I never heard any bad 
you know, Pat Patterson stories uh, about him being an asshole or someone hard to work with or anything. He was, he was the good guy. Like I said, Vince was the bad guy and he was the good guy. He, he was mom and Vince was dad, uh, to, uh, to put it in that perspective where dad's going to be a dick to you. And then Pat Patterson's going to say, Oh, it's going to be okay. We can do it this way and get, get you through it. And yeah, just a massive loss for the WWE. And yeah, like you said, for all these people we just mentioned, we could do episodes about, we could do entire hours on, on each of them. Um, unfortunately, I just, as always, I'm pressed for time. So, um, But Pat Patterson died of liver failure caused by a blood clot on December 2nd, 2020. He was 79 years old. He was also apparently battling cancer is what I had read, but uh, that wasn't very public. Uh, either he had been he had been on tv as recently as uh 2019 he won the 24 7 title so uh this was uh really i did not know that yeah so even though he was 79 years old which by the way he's a guy that's always looked a lot older than he is because if you think back to when he was the stooges you know with uh gerald briscoe that was in 99 so he was like he was in his 50s then, <laughs> so, but he looked so much older. Um, but yeah, he was 79, and even though he was 79, it was still very unexpected uh, to the wrestling world to lose Pat Patterson in a year that I mentioned that we lost so much. Uh, December 2nd, 2020 is when he passed away, so December just brought the year to an, a depressing end uh, for the wrestling world and for a lot of other reasons and just I'm glad it's over. I'm glad that we can start anew and hopefully move forward and make it a better year. Um both in wrestling and in life. And I uh, just hope that all our listeners are safe and stay safe and uh happy and healthy and uh enjoy listening to our podcast. Uh one of the reasons that I, I do this podcast is because why I enjoy listening to podcasts is like when I go on drives and stuff, I don't really like music that much. And I just, I love talking podcasts and like there's a podcast called crime and sports that I'm really a fan of. So like if you listen to us just to hear people talk and it calms you down and makes your day better, that's what we're here for. And we also like to talk about usually shitty old wrestling. So, um, <laughs> We, I, I do have a friend that does need to have people kept in their minds. Uh, it was made public, but not as public as I feel like it should have been due to it was in right in the middle of all these deaths that we were talking about. Uh, Jimmy Rave, Jimmy Rave, who lives just probably 20 minutes down the road for me, Jimmy Rave, who was involved in uh, TNA Impact, who was in Ring of Honor. Uh, Jimmy Rave ended up getting a very, just a very bad diagnosis and had to have, ended up having to have his arm amputated. And so he is learning now to live with only one arm. And so... Obviously, his wrestling career is over. Um, 
but Jimmy Rave, who, you know, more recent fans will know uh, of him from the past, you know, six, seven years, is now dealing with a life-changing situation. So just kind of keep him in the back of your mind, you know, because he is having to learn how to cope all over again with different things. And, um, but we're going to end on a high note. Let's end on a high note because this has been some sad shit. All right. We're going to end on a damn high note. WWE undefeated. It is the new game that has been brought to your cell phones. WWE undefeated. It is extremely exciting. I am already on level seven. Just so everybody knows, it came out, I think, like January 2nd, January 3rd. And it's awesome because all you are doing is just playing other people who are out there on the game. You're not playing a computer. You're not playing anything like that. You immediately link up, and they find somebody else who's playing at that particular point in time and put you right there in the middle of a match. And uh, it's just awesome. It's a really cool, really fun uh bounce back i feel like from the horrifically horrible uh wwe game that came out this past october which i have played and i can vouch it is horrible i still love to play it because it is wrestling but it's horrible um but no check out wwe undefeated it's in your app stores and it really is very entertaining. You get you get yourself caught up in it, and I will burn through an entire battery life of like five or six hours throughout the day of playing matches of just hopping in there. And next thing I know, I've done like 120 or 130 matches in eight hours. And I'm just like, shit. Okay, dude, I gotta slow. You know, I gotta get back to normal life. It's just that fun and that entertaining to get into so definitely check it out definitely i highly highly recommend it probably one of the very best games wwe has put out for your cell phone or ipad or whatever one of the very best that they have put out i dare say of all time but highly highly confident in saying um, in the past 10 years. So, check it out. Yeah, and uh, next month, uh, Retromania is finally putting out that that game uh, that we've talked about before. So, Are they? Really? Awesome. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see how that looks and shakes out. But now it's time to get into the review for this week, which you picked... And you decided to go with WWE, get the F out, Judgment Day 2002 from May 19th, 2002. Just up the road in Nashville, Tennessee at the Gaylord Entertainment Center, which is now known as the Bridgestone Arena where the Nashville Predators play. In front of 14,521 fans, it had a buy rate of 370,000, which is pretty good. And the tagline, Judge, Jury, and Executioner, because it's the dead man taking on Hulk Hogan, a rematch 
Um, 11 years 11, in the making. 11 years in the making. 11 years this rematch took to happen. That is awesome. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, Father Time had not been kind to Hulk Hogan's wrestling skills. Uh, he, he never had many to begin with, but uh, 11 years and his back um, had not aged very well and unlike can, a fine wine 11 years was not good for hulk hogan if you if you haven't watched it i will give you a spoiler <laughs> hogan is not taking a last ride let's put that uh, shit nor a tombstone right uh either <laughs> um and he he barely took the moves that he took um <laughs> We missed the heat match, which I guess you could go on the network and watch because I think this. Uh... No, I don't think the 2002 heats are up there, so never mind. Uh, we missed William Regal defending the European Championship against new Impact commentator D'Lo Brown. He's no longer helping people to the seats. He's their new commentator. Uh, really? Yeah, he uh, started on Saturday at their Hard to Kill pay-per-view, so... D'Lo replacing Josh Matthews, so D'Lo finally getting... Speaking of hard to kill, speaking of hard to kill, I just want to sidestep for a second. How do you feel about the uh, the impact AEW kind of split that they're running with? Oh, that yes, we've we missed that in all this time away as well, that there's a working relationship between AEW and Impact... Um, and, and NWA is hopping in there with the three of them. So now it's all three. Um, I don't really know how it benefits Impact or the NWA for that matter. Um, it 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 helps AEW. It's smart on AEW's part because it gives them access to talent like the Good Brothers so you can have basically the Bullet Club on your TV program and you can have matchups like you can get a rich swan in there to take on Kenny Omega so I think it helps that it's beneficial to them I don't know why impact would want in um because I don't think it's bringing many eyeballs to their product and NWA hasn't started their power tapings back up yet so right now they're sort of stagnant so I understand why NWA wants their talent on any TV program at the moment you know, I, the one thing that I don't understand is I'm happy we're pushing the women's title, but why are we not pushing the national title or the you know Nick seeing Nick Aldis doing some stuff? Yeah, I I think it's just because they one of the criticisms of AEW one of the few because I think for the most part people are satisfied with AEW's product has been their women's division because that was one of the things they touted when they launched uh, was that, you know, we're going to do it right. We're going to have all these uh, female talents and because you've seen what's happened in the WWE. Yeah, it was uh, the women's evolution, right? But really all it was was the four horsewomen became stars and everyone else is just sort of floating around in the mid card somewhere. And unfortunately, sort of the same things happened in AEW. You've made a couple of stars, and the rest are just sort of, okay, she's okay, okay, yeah, we're bringing in this lady from an indie show. And so I think, I think I'm going to beg to differ with you on that one. 
And why is I that? Think, because I think that anybody that steps in the ring in that women's division on AEW is kicking ass and taking names. I think a lot of them still need some some work. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying they're Stacy Keebler level of bad, but I think a lot of them are still pretty pretty rough around the edges and I think that by bringing in the NWA women's champion it gives you another really good worker and that can only elevate the the ones on the roster that aren't exactly I mean there's plenty of there's plenty of male wrestlers on the roster too that I mean aren't exactly lighting the world on fire so it's not I mean it's it's not just relegated to the the female roster but i think that's why they've focused more on more on bringing in the nwa women's champion than nick aldis um since they already have two men's titles um i don't i don't think they they want to bring in a third or convolute that like it looks like they're gonna have a rich swan kenny omega match so they i mean they are doing champion versus champion stuff but uh, and then maybe maybe Nick Aldis is next up for Kenny Omega. Maybe that's the direction they want to go. But I don't think they I would w- love to see that that comparison. Oh, I think that would be. Awesome. I think it would be awful. I think it actually. I, I vote the opposite way. I think it would be awful really? because. But you don't like Nick Aldis, and I think he is a very talented wrestler. I think Nick Aldis is a great promo. He's he's a great looking gentleman like he looks great with that belt like he plays a heel great but when the bell rings patrick he is boring as piss to me um i think he's entertaining and it's kind of the opposite of how i feel about kenny omega kenny omega hasn't been very good on the mic in the last couple years but in the ring he is superb so honestly if you created some sort of if you got them in a laboratory and merged the two uh, I think you would have the perfect wrestler, uh, but Rick to see, <laughs> but to see them in a ring together, I don't know. I do, I do not want to see that. And maybe lay off a few more years before you, you know, put someone like Cody against him again or something like that. But, um, but maybe, maybe that's the direction they're going. I'm just, I'm not real sure. But I, I think that's the reason they're they're working with the women's champ right now is just because. Well, you got the tag titles. You got the national title. You got, you know, I think Trevor Murdoch is doing a phenomenal job with that title as well, by the way. And I'm not just saying that because he's a friend. I'm saying that because I love to see him break out and show his true talent once and for all. And that's exactly what he's doing. Well, between, I mean, the, the weekly show, so you've got two hours. Like, it's just there's not enough time to showcase all these things. And then you've got Dark, but do you really want to put, I mean, is that really a great place to showcase a title holder on Dark? Maybe if AEW does follow up, I mean, there was the rumors a couple of years ago that they, I mean, when they started that TBS was already considering a second show. If they get a second show, then maybe you start seeing more titles come in. But I think what we've seen from the WWE is when you have more titles, it doesn't necessarily mean more success all around. It actually just bogs things down. So... Uh, I would be hesitant to to unleash the title beast. Judgment Day 2002. Uh, the poster for this uh, very uh, not would not fly uh, in 2021. Uh, because, Why is that? Uh, because it's the Undertaker in front of a giant noose and gallows. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. We're not talking about Luke either. No, no. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, Daniel Bryan got fired from the WWE for choking someone with a tie. So I don't think the company's going to be displaying images of nooses anytime soon but on this show they're all over it so if you really no love judgment day pay-per-views either have you noticed that what's that no more judgment day pay-per-views either have you noticed that? oh yeah yeah that's probably uh the way things are going um yeah probably not a good time to uh revive that name anytime soon a noose is shown as as we get this opening and a woman asks us if we like what we've become and she's very ominous and You've already heard the promo because I included it at the start of the show. So, and it's spliced with match highlights of all the uh, various feuds going on. Eventually, the promo ends with someone dropping from the gallows. They actually show a man hanging to death. Yeah, uh, which I mean, I guess they did with Big Boss Man a few years earlier. So they thought, what the hell? Like we've done this before. And then it ends with God have mercy on our souls. God have mercy on our souls, those of us who bought this pay-per-view for $35 or whatever. What? Your comment strikes me odd because I I think this is, well, we'll, we'll get to the, we'll talk later about it, but we'll talk at the end. But yeah, I think it is outstanding. JR welcomes us in. He's with the king as... This is before, even though they had split the rosters at this point, they weren't doing that thing where, okay, JR and King are going to call this match, and then Cole and Taz are going to call this match. Instead, JR and King would call the whole card, and we would go to Cole and Taz for uh, some buildup to some matches, but they didn't get to commentate on any of the SmackDown matches. Latino Heat plays out Eddie Guerrero. He's the IC champion uh, that Pat Patterson, of course, was the original, but here's Eddie Guerrero as the IC champion in 2002. Eddie still hanging on to his mullet in 2002, and it is outstanding. He's going to take on Rob Van Dam. It's the Battle of the Frog Splash. Who will prevail? RVD goes for some quick near falls, and Eddie bails out to regroup. We get big RVD chance. RVD was super over, and, I mean, he was basically in line to lose to Triple H. Um within the coming years. So, but they really, I say it every time we watch an RVD match, they really blew it with RVD. I mean, this guy was awesome. RVD catches Eddie for a tilt a whirl backbreaker for a two count. He puts Eddie in a surfboard and then a standing moonsault for a two count. Eddie just goes to striking to slow RVD down in the crowd. An RIP Davy boy sign pops up and that's because he passed away the day before this pay-per-view. No tin bell salute, no in memorial graphic, nothing. So, if it wasn't for this Nashvilleian nope. with a sign in the crowd, um, wouldn't be acknowledged here. Terrible. The only time it was acknowledged was confidential. On confidential. Yeah. And that was, I believe, when they did some somewhat of a tribute video, and I think they closed the show out with a tin bell salute. I rewatched that episode of Confidential when they got added to the network. It's e- it's either the first episode or the second episode, and no, no, I I wish it was like that, Patrick. But it's like the opening segment is about him. Then they go to commercial. They they finish the segment, and then I think they end the show on a segment about Shawn Michaels for some reason 
about like his outfits or something. So it really wasn't a memorial piece. Like they talked to his widow and that's pretty much it. I thought they I thought they did do something. I don't know. I have to go back and look. Again, like if you want to fact check us, go ahead, send it to us, retro wrestling podcast at gmail dot com. I am not going to pull up an episode of Confidential right now to go back and see. Um, so anyway, RVD hits the rolling thunder to Eddie for a two count. He goes for the frog splash, but Eddie crotches him to stop it. Then Eddie does basically his one move of the match. He power bombs RVD off the buckle and goes for his own frog splash, but RVD rolls out of the way. RVD goes for the five-star frog splash, but Eddie rolls out of the way. RVD hits a running cross to Eddie for a near fall. RVD tries a backslide for a two-count. Then Eddie uses one of his own, and with the help of the ropes, one, two, three, he lies, he cheats, he steals, he wins. Eddie Guerrero wins with the only cover he attempted the whole match, by the way. This was... I loved this because... This was his strategy the whole time. It was like, I'm not going to try to out-wrestle RVD. He's faster. He kicks harder. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to fight him, and then at the end, I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to leave. And I'm going to make one pinfall attempt, and it's going to be the winning one. And that's it. So I love the psychology of Eddie wrestling. A great heel tactic here because Eddie did nothing, uh, you know, to get the fans on his side. Like, Eddie's a great wrestler, but he just mainly just strikes like just uh european uppercuts a lot of uh punching and kicking and just uh he he let rvd shine and that was the whole purpose of this match was to get the shine on rvd but keep the belt on eddie so that the chase is still good so well done i really enjoyed this opening match oh yeah great match yeah this match uh this match went 10 minutes and 17 seconds and it was a contender for match of the night, in my opinion, but this next match, definitely not a contender for match of the night. As we go backstage, it's Reverend Devon testify with Deacon Batista with Stacy Keebler and Vince McMahon. Why is Vince back there? Well, because this is brand warfare, my friends, because Vince was the chairman of SmackDown and Flair had Raw, so this was just... Vince wanted Stacy to win the belt so that we would come over to SmackDown. That was basically the idea here. Devon assures Vince that Bubba, his estranged brother, won't show up, so he definitely will. Oh, brothers and sisters, every head needs to be bowed and every eye closed because it's time for prayer. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, brothers and sisters and Prophet Vince, we come to you right now to reinsure the safety of Sister Stacy Keebler. And we come to you once again to reinsure a victory over that no good Jezebel, Tris Stratus. And all we come once again to. <laughs> amen. And amen. Oh, yeah. Now, you're certain your brother Bubba is not too likely to show up here tonight. Oh, Brother Vince, Prophet Vince, I should say. I spoke to Bubba personally, and I told him he better not show up tonight, or he would have hell to pay. I understand that. Well, uh, (laughs) good luck. 
Um, you'll be watching, right? I won't miss a second of it. I may be late for the celebration party. I've got somebody important to go see, but I'll be watching every moment. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. Um, they do this interview, also, Patrick, in front of nooses. You know, you're just standing around some nooses talking. And the optics of a black man standing in front of a noose just having a chat just did not look good to me. Um, but that's what they went with here. The women's champ Trish is out next. Kid Rock's legs uh, escort Stacy Keebler out as they promote the worst titled CD ever, Forcible Entry, which sounds like a rape charge. Uh, uh, I, enjoy, I enjoyed that uh, that CD by the way. I still have that CD. I don't think most of the things on there aged very well. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'd crank up many of the songs on there. Uh, Devon and Batista come out to support Stacy, and then, of course, Bubba shows up immediately. So, Bubba Dudley immediately coming out. This allows Trish get, to get the jump on Stacy. King naturally loves this match because the women are in it. Every bump Stacy takes is worse than the last one. This woman is just not cut out for pro wrestling. And that's fine. You can do other things in pro wrestling. You can be a manager. But when she tried that, she wasn't very good at it. Uh, when she, yeah, with her testicles. Uh, when she was a wrestler, she wasn't very good at it. There's something she could do for this company, but I don't know she what managed, it is. She managed Test. She managed Scott Steiner. She managed the Dudleys. <laughs> Who else does she? Know? And I don't remember anything she did for any of those teams, <laughs> really. I mean, other than walking out and looking really good. Um, this was no Sunny. Like Sunny, at least could cut a great promo, but Stacy is just she's beautiful, uh, and she has obviously made a career outside of wrestling. But I just don't understand why they even bothered trying to get her to wrestle. Because she never got any better. Dean Malenko probably put in hours of and hours and hours of his life trying to get this woman to to be a good wrestler. And it's just... Some people can't do it. I mean, you're not cut out for it. Swinging neckbreaker from Trish for a two count. A chick kick takes Stacy out of the ring who slaps Bubba. And he removes his glasses and gets that look in his eyes like he's going to slam Mae Young through a table. So he goes after Stacy to beat her up. But Batista slams Trish behind the ref's back because he was distracted with this Bubba and uh, Stacy matter. And this nets Stacy a near fall. Trish baseball slides Batista. Trish hits the Stratus faction and gets the win over Stacy Keebler and immediately bolts to the back. So uh, Devon can't catch her. And this match was all to set up the aftermath, which had nothing to do with the women wrestlers. Where it's the Dudleys staring down each other. Devon wants a hug from his brother Bubba. So are we going to have a reunion of these two brothers who were separated at the draft? Yes, maybe we are. They have a handshake, but then Batista tries to cheap shot Bubba. And this allows Devon to clothesline Bubba. And then Devon has Batista get the table. The ultimate sign of disrespect as Batista decks Bubba with the collection plate for the reverend and they put Bubba through the table. So this whole match was to set up a feud between the Dudleys. So, who, so, wait a minute. 
that was a great gimmick. But smashing a collection plate? No, the collection plate itself. Because if you go back and watch, there was actually fans as they walked around ringside putting money in that. Oh, that's just stupid. If those fans did that, they should be punched in the face. So I've never got. I already gave you the money for the ticket. Put that money in there. They were going around putting money in that. So I wonder how much money they would go home with after every show of fans doing that crap. That's such a carny thing to do. That's something I would expect to see in a high school gym. That's going to be my gimmick. Whatever, whatever it is, I have a collection plate, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a Salvation Army gimmick, and I'm gonna walk around with a bucket. And you're just going to put money in it. And then I'm just going to leave. <laughs> that's that's my wrestling gimmick. I ring a bell and uh, then I leave. The bell ringer. Oh, that's perfect. It goes with wrestling. Go. I've just, I've nailed my gimmick to scam the fans out of more money. There um, you go. This match sucked. Uh, female wrestling in WWE sucked. Um, fortunate- Wait a minute now. Wait a minute. I think this was a decent match. Oh, God. There's no way. I think this was a decent match because Trish was the backbone of what they were doing. And I think Stacy held her own. We're not asking for five five star quality here. Okay. We're asking for entertainment. And I think we got it. Well, uh, this feud was basically, like, there There was a promo package about it. I mean, it was brought on by, like, a bikini contest. Afterwards, they did a, a bra and panties match on Velocity. So this match was set up on garbage, and it was garbage. And uh, it eventually, Stacy would uh, get spun off from this feud, and then Trish would end up feuding with a returning Molly Holly. So there was some good wrestling matches possibly coming down the road, but this was not one of them. Arn Anderson is backstage with the nature boy, Ric Flair. Vince comes in again as Vince just wants to make as many cameos tonight as possible. He wants a handshake with the GM of Raw, and Flair gives him one. Flair says that Austin is a no-good son of a bitch. He says he's going to take Austin down and get him under control. Vince just looks at him and says, good luck. As Vince knows from experience that that is probably not a good strategy. If it isn't the nature boy himself, Ric Flair. Rick, what do you say? Hello, Vince McMahon. Let me tell you something. You were right all along. That Austin's a no-good son of a bitch. I don't know how I could have ever second-guessed you. (laughs) He's done everything possible to disrupt the Raw brand and my power. But tonight, Vince, (laughs) unlike you, I'm taking Austin down. I'm getting the reins put right through his mouth. A bit. I'm going to have Austin (laughs) under control. (laughs) <laughs> Good luck, man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Eat him up. <laughs> up next, the Hardy Boys are set to be destroyed by Brock Lesnar. Uh, what a stupid thing to do to one of your most popular tag teams. 
Vince hates tag team wrestling. There's no way around it because, okay, here you have this young beast fresh out of OVW. We're going to make him the next big star. He could destroy anybody on the roster. I mean, he could start with Spike Dudley and work his way up. But no, we're going to feed him our tag team champions, our former tag team champions that, uh, you know, Jeff Hardy is, uh, you know, on his way to a huge run as a single star. We're going to feed them. We're going to feed two of them to Brock Lesnar. So terrible, terrible booking here. Uh, Brock Lesnar comes in belly to belly from Brock to Jeff and then the Goldberg chance breakout, which I remember when Brock debuted back then and I was still watching a little bit of wrestling and that's what I thought too. I thought this is this this is the same shit like this is the same path here other than Brock has Paul Heyman. So he's a bad guy, but it's the same. It's a guy a giant man in a black speedo who beats the shit out of everybody. And I was not a fan. Like, this is when I started kind of drifting away from wrestling. That, and I was about to turn 16 later in the year and start driving a car. So I was going to go out and, you know, go to the mall or do whatever. I don't remember what I was doing at 16. Go work at Domino's. That's what I was going to go do. When I was 16, I was driving to wrestling shows. Yeah, well, I'm sorry you had to drive to some of these. Um <laughs> Power slam to Matt from Goldberg. Matt slows him down with a DDT. Whisper in the wind to Brock from Jeff. Double leg drop to Brock from the Hardys. Poetry in motion to Brock, and they clothesline him out of the ring. The Hardys deck Paul Heyman, who was technically Brock's tag team partner, although he only gets one tag. Uh, They hit poetry in motion to Paul. Jeff, instead of focusing on Brock, decides, you know, I'm going to go for a swanton bomb on Paul Heyman. But Lesnar catches him. And uh, but trips, uh, so it's almost like a crossbody, and Jeff covers him for a two count. Uh, F five to Jeff. Heyman says, "Tag me in." Brock tags him in, and Paul Heyman pins a former tag team champion. Uh, and Brock Lesnar is unstoppable. Uh, for making Brock Lesnar a beast, this was successful. For a match, it stunk because it was just. Uh, just an insult to anybody who loved the Hardy Boys and loved wrestling and loved tag team wrestling. So, thumbs down for me. So I give it a happy medium. I don't give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I keep it a happy medium. Always play in the middle. Always play in the middle. Booker T is in a room full of nooses. So, another black man uh, standing in front of nooses. <laughs> He's interviewed by a guy that I've never seen before. I don't know his name. Again, if you know his name and know who he is, you can email us at retrowrestlingpodcast at gmail.com and correct us because I have no idea who this interviewer was. Booker is in the NWO gear because he's the newest member because Scott Hall, the plane ride from hell had just happened and Scott Hall got fired along with Kurt Henning. So they needed a new NWO guy. The NWO at this point was technically led by Ric Flair. That's right. Ric Flair drafted the NWO to Raw. Then Hulk Hogan quit after X8. So then uh, Nash was hurt. And then so... We didn't see... But we didn't see Hall after X8. That was his last time. He never showed back up. No, he he did show up again because he, he actually appeared, I think, on an episode of Heat or raw 
He appeared on an episode of Heat, I think, after he was fired. Like, they had already taped it, so he did appear after X-8. So X-8 oh, wasn't okay. the end for Hall. He was on the, because uh, he was on the plane from the plane ride from hell, so that was after X-8. That was on the way home from Insurrection. So, um... Oh, we needed to cover that pay-per-view. Maybe. I've never seen it. Uh, I wish there was a... I wish somebody recorded the plane ride from hell. I'd watch that and review that with you. Um, so Booker T is in the NWO gear, which is so stupid. Uh, he sees a lady waiting off to the side. She tells Booker she wants Booker to sign somewhere special, an autograph. She wants to have sex with Booker T. And so... He takes you her. You don't know that. You don't know that. They could have just, she could have just wanted a private autograph. Yes. Uh, so she gives him her hotel room key card and walks off. And Booker is smiling and just excited because he's going to go have some sex. Hey, man, business is business. Rick Flat, he's the boss. He chose me, Booker T, as the newest member of the NWO. Me, Booker T, the five-time WCW champion. He felt like I could get the job done. Hey, I'm down with that. Hey, man, I'm a professional. And as a professional... Excuse me, dog. (laughs) What's going on, babe? What you doing over here all by your... With your... Fine self. But you want an autograph or something? Oh, I love that. Yeah, I knew that you would. You got a piece of paper or something? Actually, I have a very special place I'd like you to sign. What? (laughs) You, You didn't say that? Tell me you didn't just say that. You just gave me the key to your heart, baby. Yeah. So stay tuned, everybody. This is what they used Booker T on the show for tonight. Two segments. No, no in-ring work. Five-time WCW champion. Sorry, got no work for you. I know he would be challenging Triple H for the world title next year, uh, but this is what he's doing tonight. Hair versus hair match gets previewed. It's not next, though. Uh, Edge will take on Kurt Angle. But now it's time for Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Ric Flair and Big Show. Clearly, there's a problem between myself and Stone Cold Steve Austin. I drafted Austin in all good faith. And what does he do? He stuns me. Right now. Oh, my God. That's going to be hell to pay. Austin, you should have gotten on your knees, kissed my ass. Have been my best friend. Wait a minute. Austin foot was on the rope. It wasn't a bad call. Flair screwed him. When you screwed Stone Cold, you made the single biggest mistake of your life. Now I can sympathize with what Vince McMahon went through. Because as an owner trying to deal with that son of a bitch Austin is a pain in the ass. So I handle it. Just the way I could. What the hell is this? My God, the 500 pounder just 
touch play of Austin all the way to hell. Two years ago, Austin was hurt. I was the main event of WrestleMania. Austin's back. Where am I? I was in a restaurant picking your ugly kids up. Nature boy, Ric Flair, to deal with. Flair's assaulting Stone Cold of Steel Chair. Judgment Day, you got me and Big Show in a handicap match. It'll be awesome versus not one, but two men. And it by God will not be pretty. I ain't got a problem with it at all. Ric Flair will find out that you do not screw with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Flair and the Big Show will break Stone Cold Steve Austin by God in hell. I'm going to whip his ass. I'm going to whip the Big Show's ass. And I promise you, Austin, you will bleed, sweat, and pay the price. But Austin be executed. His career once and for all ended. Why Ric Flair and Big Show? Because Big Show's also in the NWO as this man joined and quit the NWO more than anybody else. And, uh, again, they were just looking for bodies for the NWO. And so they said, Hey, here you go, pal. Uh, at WrestleMania X eight, by the way, big show was at WWF New York at the time. He didn't even make the WrestleMania card. Uh, but he's in this tag team with Ric Flair because Vince was very sour on Ric Flair as a solo wrestler. It was almost like, was this before, uh, Sean showed up with the NWO. Yes, yes, this is before I. Okay. Sean, uh, Sean shows up on that episode that we reviewed from June. So, okay, we're heading to that, but um, okay. and then the NWO would be disbanded. Um, very quickly after. Yeah, when Nash re-injured himself as soon as he came back, and so. Which led to uh, Sean and Hunter's match at SummerSlam. So, in a way, it turned out better for everybody involved. <laughs> Ric Flair's in this tag team because Vince McMahon did not want Ric Flair to wrestle, despite Ric Flair looking to be in incredible shape. Even though he's older than Hulk Hogan, I dare say he's in much better shape in 2002, and he's always been a better wrestler than Hulk Hogan. This is almost like how. Vince felt about Andre towards the end of Andre's career where, oh, I'm just going to put him in tag team matches. Fuck that guy. And uh, I won't say many good things about Hunter Hearst Helmsley, but he did manage to get Ric Flair back into singles matches. So um, thank you for that, Hunter. Even though, you know, it's towards the end of his career, but people love seeing Ric Flair wrestle. He doesn't need to be in tag teams. I mean, the year before his retirement match, he was stuck in a tag team with Carlito. So, the promo package shows the rivalry between Flair and Austin. Why is this a rivalry? Austin had walked out the first time in 2002 after X8. He hated his match with Hall. His character had no direction. He had pretty much beat everybody in the company. He had done everything. He was just frustrated. He was also having some personal problems at home with his wife. He had drinking problems. And he had walked out. He's beat beat the hell up. He's at the end of his rope. And it would be the first of two walkouts this year, as we found out uh, earlier in a review we did last year. Uh, but when he came back, they had already split the rosters, and he had to sign between Raw and SmackDown. 
And for whatever reason, he signs with Raw and then beats up Ric Flair. So that's the rivalry. I don't know why. And obviously, he was probably put in this match because he loves Ric Flair. He considers him the greatest. So he probably was like, well, if I'm going to work with somebody, I guess I'll work with Flair. But he was also punished because he had to work with Big Show. NWO Big Show is out, followed by Ric Flair. Then Austin comes out to an Austin-level reaction. I mean, I can't believe this guy. This is what, the third match on the card? Stone Cold Steve Austin is the third match on the card. This is nuts. Um, Austin cleans house. Uh, He tries to get the stunner on the big show quickly to end the match. The heels do not touch him for the first, I'd say, five minutes of this match. Austin just beats the shit out of Flair and big show. It's not even close. I mean, Austin is openly laughing about how easy this is. He goes for the figure four on Big Show after a low blow, but Flair breaks it up. He figure fours Flair, but uh, breaks it to bail outside the ring. He goes and grabs a chair. Lil Nate Charles Robinson tries to stop him, takes it away, so he goes and gets another chair, but not to use it to sit in it and uh, flip Charles Robinson off. The heels just cower in the corner. They do not know what to do with this man. Uh, Flair finally decides to face Austin one-on-one. What chance breakout, as Austin had just started that. Austin mimics looking at his watch and then goes and gets some beer as he waits for Flair to do anything. Lil Nate makes him drop the beer, which I guess he was afraid he was going to use it as a weapon. Thumb to the eye to Austin from Flair, and finally Austin gets slowed down and gets some Flair chops. Austin returns the favor with chops of his own, which are not nearly as good as Ric Flair. A Flair flop, Flair begs for forgiveness, Corner punches uh, two flair from Stone Cold, and then he tags in the Big Show. Austin eats a huge slap from Big Show, then another. Uh, Austin smiles after these because they must have really fucking hurt. I don't think he was smiling to be like, ah, that didn't hurt at all. I think he was like, oh, shit, that hurt. Uh, Austin eats the biggest boot from the Big Show, and then Ric Flair tags back in. Low blow from Flair. Flair struts to the delight of the Nashville crowd. We get another chop battle. Flair gets slammed off the buckle, as usual. Mudhole gets stomped. Big Show comes in without a tag. Power slams Austin. Flair tags Show in to soften up the legs of Austin. Flair tags back in, looks for the figure four. He gets it, but Austin rolls it over. Big Show breaks it up with an elbow drop. Backslide to Flair for a two count. Another chop battle. Spine buster into a figure four from Austin. Big Show leg drops him to save him. Thez press off the second rope to Big Show. Thez press to Flair. Big Show goes for the choke slam, but eats a stunner that he no-sells from Austin, which, fuck you, Big Show. X-Pac, but at this point, Big Show probably couldn't take a bump very well. X-Pac, for no reason, then runs to ringside because he's part of the NWO and he had nothing better to do. And he accidentally super kicks Big Show. Stunner to X-Pac, stunner to Ric Flair. Austin destroys Flair and the remnants of the NWO after he pins Flair, and then he wants a cold beer as he limps away and has a beer bash at the top of the ramp. So, yeah. Uh, Very weird that you had Brock Lesnar essentially beat up two guys at once, and then you said, hey, Austin, beat up two guys at once. Uh, So, yeah. Um, But really, like I said... Uh, Austin had nowhere to really go. I think it would have been better had he 
gotten drafted or signed with SmackDown or whatever, because then he would have had Eddie to work with, Angle to work with, which he had already done some work with Angle, but uh, he would have had Edge, he would have had Benoit, he would have had all those SmackDown guys uh, to work with, um, but being stuck on Raw, he there was just nowhere to go because he wasn't going to do business with Hogan, so that takes him out of the equation. He had already done the two-man power trip with Hunter, so that's kind of off the table, so... He was kind of rudderless. The Rock was gone. Um, Undertaker was on SmackDown. I mean, Austin was just alone on an island. So I can see where his frustration with the company was. It was a showcase for Stone Cold Steve Austin to beat the shit out of people, hit all his finishing moves, drink beer. I mean, it was a highlight reel for Stone Cold Steve Austin, but I don't think it did anything for the show or his character or anything else. I mean, the fans were happy to see him, but this match was really not that great. What did you think, Patrick? I enjoyed it. I thought it was a pretty decent match. Taz and Cole take over for the SmackDown hair versus hair match with Angle and Edge. Or at least I think they take over. Really, they just they set it up for us. And they have a Photoshop version of both men without hair, so you get to see Edge without hair. Promo package airs recapping the feud. The origins of You Suck with Edge. Uh, sticking that on to Kurt Angle. He stuck You Suck on Kurt Angle and it, it stuck for the rest of his career. I'm about to unveil the brand new Kurt Angle t-shirt. A t-shirt that I designed myself. So without any further ado. You think you know What the hell are you doing out here? Despite all of our differences, you and I had one hell of a match at Backlash. I wanted to say congratulations, and and I couldn't be happier for you. You got a brand new T-shirt. I mean, let's see it. I want to see the T-shirt. You know something, Edge? I knew you'd come around. So without any further ado, drum roll, please. Is that not me or what? Who the hell did this? Kurt, that shirt definitely is you. Edge is stuck at the Kurt Angle again. Tonight, I'm about to unveil the official, real Kurt Angle t-shirt. So who wants to buy my t-shirt? I think you know me. I want to buy a t-shirt, but I think there's a better one out there. That's it, Edge. I've had it. I want another match with you at Judgment Day. And this time, what do we say we put something on the line? Like, uh, maybe that pretty little head of yours? It gets shaved bald if I beat you. You know what, Kurt? I'll do it. But you put your money where your mouth is. If I beat you... Now, Edge, I'd be a little worried if I were you. Because when I'm through with you at Judgment Day, you're going to look like Uncle freaking Fester. I say Kurt Angle will be red, white, and bald. Two of the hottest young superstars of the WWE today. Edge and Kurt Angle in a spectacular battle. It is Kurt Angle versus Edge. It's hair versus hair. Who's going to be bald? Shame on you, Edge, because Kurt Angle does not suck. Angle is out first, followed by Edge and his Rob Zombie theme. JR and King still call this match, as I mentioned, because Taz and Cole just tee it up. Angle gets tossed out of the ring, eats a baseball slide from Edge. Angle gets tied up in the ropes like Andre and gets speared 
But then Angle belly to bellies him over the ropes to the mats. Ouch. It was scary looking. Angle sucks chance breakout as Angle exchanges chops with Edge. Huge spine buster for a two count from Angle, followed by a DDT for another near fall. Angle slows the match down with some chin locks. Edge fires up with a flying forearm and a heel kick. Edge-O-Matic nets a two count for Edge. Angle responds with another belly to belly. Angle bails outside to recover, but Edge lands a running plancha. Edge connects with a beautiful missile dropkick for a two count. Angle hits a top turnbuckle belly to belly for a two count. Edge accidentally spears referee Brian Hebner. We get a huge German suplex throw to Edge who lands nearly on his neck. Another dangerous uh, landing for Edge. Angle goes and gets a chair. This was a theme of the night. Uh, for It seems like since the Austin match, everybody goes and grabs a chair. Angle goes and grabs one, but he's greeted with a spear for his trouble, but the ref is down, so no count for Edge. Angle gets speared again, but Hebner wakes up and does the slow two count before Angle kicks out. Angle spears Edge, which his spear's not bad, really. I thought it could look a lot worse. And then he Olympic slams him for two and a half count. Angle can't believe Edge kicked out of the Olympic slam. The straps come down, which uh, Jerry Lawler marks out for. <laughs> Jim Ross is like, oh, don't you hate it when people do that or something? He makes some sort of comment calling it out. Uh, but he goes for the ankle lock, but Edge escapes with an insiguri. Uh He tries it again, but Edge kicks out of it, rolls him up, Quick three, one, two, three, and rest in peace, Kurt Angle's hair. It's history. He's lost. Uh, this was my favorite match of the night. I thought this was awesome. This was this was like these two guys were fighting for the undisputed title, and all it was for was for a haircut. Uh, they. Oh, yeah, this was match of the night. I th- agree. This was awesome. Like, Kurt Angle, uh, this was Kurt Angle in his prime, basically. Uh, Edge... Not quite there yet, even though he had been in the company for a few years, uh, maybe a year or two longer than Kurt Angle, but I don't think he was quite there yet. Some of his selling was a little off. Some of his, he's just, I mean, Kurt Angle's an Olympic gold medalist, so why am I even trying to compare the two? Like, uh, Kurt Angle is just an amazing athlete. Like, he just is awesome. This was he had a hell of a year between 2001 and 2002. Like, like from King of the Ring, this is almost a year later. So he had a solid year of some really good work. So uh, this was my match of the night and um, proves that even if you have a silly stipulation like hair versus hair, you can still make it an awesome match. So I like this a lot. It was match of the night in my book. Uh, Angle beats down Edge after the bell, but Edge hits the Education, a DDT, and drags Angle to the barber's chair. Again, no Brutus beefcake. No payday for Brutus. They have some random dude up there. Angle runs away, though, before the haircut can commence. Now, Patrick, if you were to run away from your haircut, why wouldn't you just hop in a car and drive away? This is the only thing I don't like about this entire angle is... That Kurt Angle, when he had the chance to escape, did not. Yeah, I, I can't answer that. Yeah, so he runs away and Edge gives chase. So they're going to be uh, chasing each other through uh, Bridgestone Arena for the next uh, hour or so. We cut to a hotel room where Booker T awaits his sex. Uh, he sees the woman in bed. He climbs in. The lights go out. 
And then Gold Dust appears when the lights come back on. Because you see, when Booker joined the NWO, he broke up their tag team. And Gold Dust really just wants to have a chat. And so naturally, he showed up in a random woman's bed to do this. Booker is, of course, terrified of this and runs out of the room bare assed. Yes, his ass <laughs> hanging out. Um, if it wasn't for the bare ass part, I think this should have just been on SmackDown. Like, or, well, he was Raw at the time, he was NWO. This should have just been on Raw. Like, this was a Raw segment. Like, really weird they included it here. Also, really weird that uh, Goldust, uh, Dustin Runnels, was part of the plane ride from hell and was one of the uh, stories from it was him getting on the PA and trying to get Terry Runnels back on the plane by singing and saying poetry and stuff and going crazy. And he didn't lose his job. Uh, Give it another few months and he would. But uh, here he is in a nighty uh, waiting for Booker T. Uh, Come on up in here, girl. Right there. Yeah, baby. Come on up under these covers. You're looking fine. Yeah. Can you do me a favor, though, Book? <laughs> Whatever you want. Can we make it a little bit more romantic? Whatever you need. I like to do it in the dark. Like this here. Click. <laughs> How about that right there? I want you to kiss me right here. You want me to kiss you? Wow. <laughs> yeah, like that. I want you to kiss me right there. Oh, my goodness. I love it when you talk dirty to me. Say something else. I want you to leave the NWO and come back to Goldust. (laughs) Ned, what the hell are you doing here? I'm sorry for this deception. You do not return any phone calls. Phone calls? Yes, phone calls. I know you want to get your Mac down. But I planned out this big elaborate scheme. Man, you know? you're some kind of freak. I can't even have the privacy. I'm not this smug. Can't you stop him? I bought this nightgown for nothing. Dustin Ronald's always willing to play the clown. Up next, how do you f- how do you follow a bare-assed Booker T running out of a hotel room? Of course, hell in a cell. That's naturally uh, the transition you would you would make. The cell lowers from the rafters, and Taz and Cole talk it up, despite being SmackDown commentators and this being a Raw matchup. A promo recaps the feud where his father-in-law, Mr. McMahon, booked him into this match because Triple H threw a fit about working on SmackDown and got his way and got sent back to Raw. So I guess this was his punishment. Here on SmackDown, we do have some dissident employees. And the one right at the top of the list would be the jerk who calls himself the game, Triple H. So therefore, Triple H, I don't want you to come anywhere near me because I own SmackDown and damn sure own you, Triple H. And if you don't do exactly as I tell you to do, there's going to be hell to pay. Are you going to destroy me, Vince? Or is everything out of your mouth complete boom there we go let's go time well, Mr. going somewhere you think you can send six guys to this ring to kick my ass and I think this is what Mr. McMahon meant when he said that there would be hell to pay you think you can send Chris Jericho 
with a steel chair to split my skull. Jericho, like a buzzer, taking advantage of me. The helpless and defenseless Triple H. Vince, you think that you can book me in the most brutal match ever devised? At Judgment Day, it's you and Jericho. Triple H is going to discover that I am that damn good. It is a perverse, satanic, vile, diabolical structure. There will be pain. Over two tons of unforgiving steel. Triple H, Jericho, hell in a cell. When that cage lowers around us, Chris Jericho is going to be alone. Alone with all his fears, all his insecurities. Triple H is going to face the real me. Ruthless vicious, merciless competitor that Chris Jericho really is. I ended Mick Foley's career inside Hell in a Cell. That's what I do inside that cell. He's going to see that I am that damn good enough to beat him. That I am that damn good enough to be better than him. I am going to take Chris Jericho straight to hell. There will be casualties. There will be pain. There will be suffering. There will be blood. Triple H and Chris Jericho. And then, Patrick, my heart sank as I realized there was an hour left in this show. And I was like, oh no. This is going to be a 45-minute Hunter match. I don't know if I can do it. Um, Y2J and Triple H make their entrances. No Stephanie with Hunter. I don't remember how she was written out of this angle. Of course, at X8, these guys had to follow Rock and Hogan. And uh, the place was crickets. And, uh, of course, the big angle was that Jericho had teamed up with Stephanie, who, oh my goodness, shocked the world by joining her husband and helping Hunter win the title off of Jericho. And then Hunter would turn around and lose it to Hogan after they saw the reaction with Rock and Hogan at X8 and said, my goodness, we got to put the belt on Hogan because everywhere he goes, he's going to get that reaction. Not quite. That was Toronto at WrestleMania. With The Rock. You're only going to get that. So you're not going to get that in every town you go to. So Hunter dropped the belt to Hogan. So now these two guys are fighting just to fight. Just uh, for pride here. Hunter hits his Harley race running knee and a back body drop to Jericho. Tim White back in the cell as the referee. This poor guy keeps getting booked for these cell matches. He should really say something to his bosses about, hey, Every time I'm in here, something bad happens. Please don't book me in these. Chops were the order of the night as Jericho lands some on Hunter in the corner. Jericho rams his shoulder into the post and tumbles outside. Hunter rams Jericho into the cell. Three times, follows it up with a clothesline. Hunter gets flung out of the ring by Jericho, but Jericho gets thrown into the steps. Hunter grabs the steps, wants to pile drive Jericho on it, but instead Jericho catapults Hunter into the cell. Jericho's shoulder has somehow been sliced open. He finds a ladder under the ring, drives it into Hunter's face, so now it's time for Hunter to do his Hunter blade job here. 
Um, then he rams uh, Hunter into the ladder a third time. Hunter drops outside, and Jericho throws the ladder on top of him. So Jericho vicious here with the ladder shots. Jericho tries a fourth time with the ladder, or a fifth time, but Hunter smacks him with a chair to stop him. The chair bends from the impact, and then Hunter delivers one to Jericho's back, a chair shot. Then Jericho bulldogs Hunter into the ladder, and he's bleeding even more. Jericho brings the steps into the ring, and Hunter drop toe holds him onto the steps. Hunter chucks the steps at Jericho's arm. Ouch. The one that was bleeding. Then he rams Jericho into the cage. Jericho stumbles into the post. And then poor Tim White. He gets bumped into the cage by Jericho. He just can't catch a break, Tim White. Chris Jericho demolishes Hunter's head with a chair shot uh, and covers, but there's no ref as Tim White's still down. Jericho goes and attacks Tim White some more, just beating the shit out of him for not being awake. Tim White does color in this match. He is bleeding from his forehead. Then the refs come out to help Tim, but unfortunately Tim has the key to the cell, so they can't get in at first. Hunter hits a spine buster to Jericho. The refs use bolt cutters to rescue Tim White. Hunter grabs his sledgehammer, decks Jericho with it. Still nobody there to count. Jericho slams the cage door into Hunter's face Freebird style, and then the two escape the cage. They walk and brawl towards the tables. Jericho wants a pedigree on Hunter on the table, but Hunter counters it to a DDT, and the Spanish announce table is done for the night. Jericho is bleeding from his forehead. Hunter finds a barbed wire 2x4, I guess, left over from his match with Mick Foley, and Jericho runs up the cage to escape. Never a good idea. Jericho snatches it from Hunter and slams it into Hunter's back on the top of the cell. Jericho then goes for the walls of Jericho on the top of the cell, and out comes Mike Kyoto, who chucks it up the cell, runs up the cell, and so we're going to have a finish on the top of the cell, maybe. Uh, which in some years is not allowed, and in some years it is. This year, it would be allowed. Hunter uses a piece of the cage to propel Jericho out of the hold. He really had to kind of improvise here because there was no legit way he could break the hold. Hunter looks for a pedigree, but Jericho back body drops him on the cell, and the crowd in Nashville probably held their breath thinking he was going through, but he didn't. Then Jericho takes the barbed wire 2x4 to the head from uh, Hunter. Ouch. <laughs> then Hunter covers him on the cell for a two count because Patrick, this is Hunter Hearst Helmsley we're talking about. We're not going home until I get my pedigree in. So after a 2x4 to the head, pedigree, one, two, three on the top of the cell, and Hunter wins. Uh, something you would hear quite often from about 2002 to 2005, I'd say. Hunter wins again. In fact, I remember the Helena Cell DVD and just watching all these matches, and it's like Hunter wins 90% of them, it seems like. every I would hit like next match on the DVD player. Oh, Hunter's there. Oh, he wins. Look at that. Next match. Oh, Hunter's there. He wins. So... Uh, I don't know why Hunter needed this win, um, but he needed it, and he got it, and yeah, this is a, unfortunately, a forgettable Hell in a Cell match. Like, I know that they they did color, they did ladders, and, and you know, but it was, it was no more violent than a really good hardcore match, and also, the Hell in a Cell doesn't make any sense because the Cell is supposed to keep people out. There's nobody... Stephanie wasn't around, so there's nobody to interfere. Like, 
the whole point of a cage match is to keep people out or to keep people in, people that you are running away. Neither of these guys are running away. And this, sadly, this is sort of the start of Hell in a Cell matches just for the sake of using the cell. Like, and then it turned into a pay-per-view and now it's just out of, it's out of control. Like, the cell has just been diminished so much. The one thing I will give them credit for, though, is they were smart because when they went to the top of the cage, they finished the match there. Because had they not done a spot through the cage or off the cage or off the side of the cage, the crowd would have booed. And that's what happened at that Armageddon Hell in a Cell when everybody just climbed down. Except for Rikishi, who fell into a conveniently placed truck full of hay. Uh, So I liked that. Uh, I thought Jericho looked really good in this match. Hunter looked like Hunter. He wrestled a Hunter match. Not really high on this one. Sorry, it's not in my top five Hell in a Cell matches, probably. But what did you think of this uh, encounter between Y2J and the Cerebral Assassin? I enjoyed it. I thought it was one of the best Hell in a Cell that they had had. Well, that's high praise. Uh, I wouldn't go that far because... Uh, the one he had with Foley is better. The one that oh, yeah. that Michaels had with Undertaker is better. Obviously, King of the Ring 98 is better. Um, I think the one that Hunter had with Shawn Michaels is better. It's not the worst. I think the worst is DX versus like the Spirit Squad and Vince, I think, is probably the worst. Uh, big, big boss man and Undertaker's pretty bad. So up until this point in 2002, yeah, okay, it's it's respectable. But as time goes on and more of these matches happened, I I even think maybe the one with Kevin Nash is better. So yeah, but this is a weird show. This is just a weirdly stacked show because you go from a hair versus hair match. Booker T having sex to Hell in a Cell. And at the end of the night, you have two wrestlers from the 90s, from the early 90s, late 80s fighting. Like, this is just a bizarre stack show with so much. Like, you have the rise of Brock Lesnar. You have, I mean, just all this random stuff. Like, it just feels like all these random pieces are, are, are converging on this pay per view. So Hunter naturally celebrates on top of the cell. We go backstage. Angle is ducking Edge to get away. And then we get a get the F out promo. I missed one earlier. We got two tonight. Uh, One was a woman cutting her uh, hedges and cut the F off of the WWF logo. And in this one, more people having sex in a limo. And when the window is steamed up, it says WWF. And when they roll it down and bring it back up, it says WWE. So, the F was gotten out. This is the first pay-per-view ever with the WWE branding. So, little factoid there for you. After they lost their lawsuit. But if you watch that Ruthless Aggressive documentary on the network, they'll tell you that Vince actually just wanted to change the name. So Yeah, of course. We go to The World, which also had to be renamed because it was WWF New York. They had to get the F out, so... It's the world, and Maven and Tori Wilson are on a date. Great. Don't care. 
And I also don't care about this, a filler match. Uh, well, you can't just go from Hell in a Cell to Hogan and Undertaker because there's too much time left, and Hogan can't go for very long. So, this bullshit match happened. This this is the worst. This is actually, okay, I rate this as the worst match of the night, even more so than the women's match. Billy and Chuck defending their tag titles against Rikishi and Rico. Where is the logic in this? Their manager is going to team up with their opponent. Why would their manager not just immediately just walk away? Or just never tag in? Or just stay away? All you're going to do is fuck us over. And that's exactly what happened. We go right to the finish. Rico kicks Chuck, and Rikishi kicks Rico, and Rikishi then pins Chuck to win the tag belts. So there you have it, the odd couple. Rikishi and Rico are your tag belts. Fuck this company and what they think of tag team wrestling. Rikishi then dances to celebrate. Like, eat shit, Vince. I fucking hate how Vince views tag teams. Like, this is just embarrassing. It's... Never mind the Billy and Chuck gimmick and what you think of that. This is just... At X7, they had TLC. They went from TLC with three awesome tag teams to this. This is how far it had fallen. And sadly, here we are, 19 years later, it's no fucking better. Nope. So, fuck this. Like, this just enraged me. Like, this is Rikishi after they tried to push him as a main eventer from being a comedy mid-card guy, and now he's right back in a tag team, a random tag team. Again, this company loves random tag teams. The odd couple, ha-ha, see, it's the manager, the other guy, and the ha-ha-ha. I fucking hate it so much. Fuck this match. All right. Sorry. Had to rage a little bit. What did you think of Billy and Chuck and uh, Rikishi and Rico? It was uh, it, it was entertaining for what it was, but it went longer than it needed to. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I would have rather had more time for this, but unfortunately, Kurt Angle didn't have enough hair for this next segment to last that long. Angle finds Edge in the backstage area, and again, I I said the logic about just leaving the arena. Here's an even dumber idea, Patrick. I'm going to find Edge myself. I'm going to take him to the place where I could possibly get my hair cut if he wakes, if he, like, beats me up. But that's exactly what Angle does. He takes Edge to the barber area where this barber must have had, he had the best seat of the night. He was out there the whole time just chilling. Um, they brawl in the barbershop set. Edge, though, puts Angle in a sleeper, and Angle goes night-night, and then he gets his hair cut as Edge shaves the hair of Sleepy Kurt. He uses an electric razor at first, and then, this was kind of scary, he used a straight razor, man. <laughs> or at yeah. least a, I hope it was a prop. That's fine. It's I, scary, man. Like I think it was a prop because... That was he was pulling that way too fast across his head. Yeah, so uh unfortunately since Kurt Angle was asleep, he couldn't do his comedy selling of this. He does though once uh he gets shown the mirror that he's bald and uh Edge then punches him. And Edge says, Instead of you suck from now on, they'll chant you're bald. And they did tonight in Nashville. But no, Edge, you were wrong. It was still going to be you suck forever. Now it's time for our main event of the evening. A recap from Backlash, where 
Undertaker and Chris Jericho, strange bedfellows here, technically helped Hulk Hogan win the belt off of Hunter. So Undertaker, by interfering in this match, just assumes that he's the number one contender, and I guess Vince agreed. And so Hogan, to retaliate for interfering in his match, smashes Biker Taker's bike with his truck, uh, that his big big rig. Hogan's always in a big truck, not his monster truck, just a an eighteen wheeler. Then Taker retaliates by hog tying Hulk Hogan to his motorcycle and dragging him all the way through the backstage arena into a nice stack of conveniently placed cardboard boxes. So <laughs> it's uh I'm gonna drag you around, but not too far and uh into these soft boxes. So I, I don't hate you that much. I still want to uh, wrestle was, you. I love I love how he was wearing all leather too, buddy. We're making sure he doesn't get ripped to shreds either. If that was even him, I'm I'm sure they probably used a stunt double. The way Hogan was moving around, oh, that man does not need to slide around on his back. <laughs> the Undertaker is the number one contender for the undisputed title and will meet the winner of tonight's Triple H Hogan match. This one is going to be over. Triple H is, oh, my God, the Undertaker just dropped the referee. Hulk Hogan comeback story. Hulkamania is alive and well. The greatest comeback story in the history of sports entertainment. Hulk Hogan is the man. And yes, Hogan, you're welcome. At Judgment Day, I become judge, jury, and executioner of Hulkamania. What you have to realize is that I can do much more than take your title. What I can do, Hogan, is take a living, breathing icon and beat him and batter him and leave him a bloody shell of a man. Blah, 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 You know something, Taker? Are you actually gonna do something? Or are you just gonna stand up there like the bitch that you are? Well, obviously, Taker, you don't want none down here. So how about I bring the bike up there to you, brother? Don't do it! Don't do it! Oh, my God! Ah! Hogan just ran over the Undertaker's prize motorcycle with an 18-wheeler! Undertaker's gone ballistic. He's gone berserk here. Oh, my God! Undertaker something Hogan with a tire iron. Undertaker's home time, Hogan. Let's go for a ride, Hogan. Dead man, dead man walking. Literally, he has to walk to the ring because his bike was destroyed. Even though he had a new one, but Biker Taker walking out to the ring and uh, Biker Taker had put on some pounds here. He was not in good shape, but uh, I guess you really you 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 get into shape for your opponent. And I guess he figured I don't really have to work too hard tonight. It's Hogan. Uh, a rematch, as we said, 11 years in the making from this Tuesday in Texas from 1991. This is the first time these two 
have met since then. Uh, and with a belt on the line. Uh, they may have met in like a dark match or something uh, after that, but on TV, yeah, 11 years. And so the thinking, yeah, going into this match, I'm sure was the big reaction Hogan got at X8. Okay, let's put him in the ring with Legends. Like, let's put him in the ring with Taker. Uh, we'll do a match with Shawn Michaels down the road if he comes back. Uh, we'll do Austin. We, Austin will come around. Surely he'll come around and do a match with him. Uh, we can do a match with Angle. We can eventually get Lesnar to fight him. And every night he does it, he's going to get these massive reactions. And he's, But that's not what happened. Hogan comes out to Voodoo Child. They even paid for Voodoo Child, but not on the network edition. On the live edition, they did. Uh, and on the video game, Shut Your Mouth, he comes out to Voodoo Child. But... The network not going to give us that. Instead, we get a weird dub over fake version of Voodoo Child. Really, really shitty. Really, really shitty. Compared to some of their dubs, though, I have to say this one was not that bad. Oh, no. I think this one was one of the worst I've ever heard. Taker immediately, he came out wearing the weight belt of Hogan. Hogan doesn't own more than one weight belt? I guess not. Uh, the crowd goes crazy for Hogan. I, I guess some X8 hangover. I mean, people, they loved this revival run, you know, this nostalgia run and the red and yellow they were they were into. Hogan retrieves the weight belt off of Taker after Taker smacks him with it, and then he smacks Taker with it. Uh, no, no DQ here. Again, this weight belt is always legal. Hogan finally gets to rip the shirt off. And do the ear pose to the crowd as Taker regroups. The two brawl on the outside of the ring. Hogan keeps his bandana on for a while. And then he finally rips it off as Taker goes for old school, but Hogan crotches him. Hogan wants a superplex and gets it with a lot of help from Undertaker. Undertaker then chop blocks Hogan, works over his leg for ages. A big boot from Hogan, but the leg drop gets blocked. And Taker, the Undertaker, applies a half crab. That's right. Submission specialist Mark Calloway applies a half crab to Hulk Hogan. Terrible. Then that's followed by a terrible looking choke slam to Hogan. A Hulk up, a big boot, a big leg. One, two. Oh no, the big leg has lost its luster. Taker kicks out at two. Hogan gets DDT'd, and Taker gets a near fall from it. Hogan took this DDT on his knee, so his selling just. Awful tonight. McMahon comes out again for his, like, fourth cameo of the night. Taker gets a chair, much like everybody has been doing since the Austin match. He gets a chair, but Hogan stops him, gives him another leg drop. Hogan then decks McMahon, leg drops him. This allows Taker, though, to deck Hogan in the back with a chair. Choke slam that Hogan actually did a better job of taking this time. And Hogan off the chair shot and a choke slam. One, two, three... Taker beats Hogan again, as he did at Survivor Series 91. He is the undisputed champion, as McMahon obviously wanted the title on SmackDown, so that's why he helped out here. Taker rams Hogan's jaw into the chair for good measure, and we're out. And this match sucked ass. Uh, Wasn't Undertaker's fault. Uh, it really wasn't Hogan's fault because, 
Well, it's Hogan's fault for always. Hogan should have the courage to speak up and say, Vince, I can't do this. Or, but he never turns down a payday. He never turns down a main event. It should have been him in the third match of the night, not Stone Cold Steve Austin. He should have never had the belt here. Um, I get the line of thinking about, yeah, that he's on this nostalgia run. We can make some money. We can sell some merch, but he just doesn't have it anymore. Um, it's it's every, every athlete reaches that point where they just don't have it anymore. And you can work around that. And that's what they did at X8. Smoke and mirrors, right? You work around it. Undertaker was not going to work around it. Undertaker was going to show us exactly what's left of Hulk Hogan. And famously, Shawn Michaels would do the same thing. So, um, main event sucked. Uh, not worth the 11 years I waited for it. So, um, what did you think of the main event between the Hulkster and the Dead Man? I liked it. So, I thought it was an entertaining, enjoyable, and well worth watching. I liked it. Look, if if you just love these guys and don't care about the match, and you know, if you just want to see guys that you know their names of, and you're like, if if I was like a father in 2002 taking my kid to wrestling, and I had not seen wrestling. You know, I had missed the Attitude Era, and, you know, I wasn't really... I would just enjoy seeing these guys, and so I would be satisfied. But for anybody watching this with a critical eye, which is what I do for this podcast, I gotta say, it really sucked. Uh, <laughs> this pay-per-view overall, Judgment Day, what'd you think, Patrick? I love it. I think it was one of the best pay-per-views of 2002. Oh, that is... That's tough. There were a lot of good pay-per-views in 2002, I, my friend. I put this up there at least in the top three. I can easily turn this on and watch it over and over and over again. Oh, it was an easy watch outside of, uh, like I said, I pretty much just fast-forwarded through the Billy and Chuck match because I just had no interest in that. Um, but it was an easy watch, yeah, uh, certainly. Even that Hunter-Hell in a Cell match, which I always get worried that Hunter's going to go... 45 minutes. It wasn't even that long. It was enjoyable. It's, 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 I think you would have been satisfied by watching it, even with a disappointing main event, because like I said, you had all these different strange elements. Everything going on was on this show. Like all the, all these storylines that they wanted to further were featured and, yeah, and you all the stars were there. Uh, there really wasn't anybody missing, notably, other than The Rock, who had gone to Hollywood. Uh, so, yeah, I think excellent. And you got to see a dude get his head shaved, which everyone always likes. On our ratings scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where do you rank? rank where do you rank Judgment Day 2002? Giant Gonzalez. Oh, geez. You're just... Uh, See, this is what happens. We, we we take a break from recording, and you're just so happy to do anything uh, with the podcast that you're just going to get drunk off of uh, joy from uh, recording. Uh, I am going to go a little lower. I am going to give it a Stacy Keebler. 
because uh, at times it looked good, uh, but the wrestling at times was really, really bad. She is sort of tall, so. She is. She is tall. All right, Patrick. Well, for my pick, it's Royal Rumble season, so I want to pick a rumble that featured a lot of strange entrants, uh, mainly from AAA. I'm going to pick the 1997 Royal Rumble, uh, the the lead up to WrestleMania 13, and the birth of Austin's first in quotation marks Royal Rumble win, the first of his three. Well, Patrick, as we reach the end of this podcast, your mic is starting to sound really bad, and I know how much audio quality is important to certain people. So if you want to get in contact with us, go to at RetroWPodcast on Twitter or at RefPatrickYoung on Twitter. You can also find Patrick Young on Facebook. You can find the Retro Wrestling Podcast on Facebook. And you can always email us, RetroWrestlingPodcast at gmail.com. That'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And even though you sound like you're in a tin can, as always, my clothes and lines, clothes line. And bingo, bango.